When we take refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, we are making a commitment to follow the path of training that the Buddha left us, the Dhamma Vinaya. We have some appreciation of the value of training, practicing with this heart, with this mind, in order to create the causes for our own peace and happiness and the happiness of others. So we're committing to a path of practice, a way, a method that we know as the Eightfold Noble Path. with the understanding that training with the Eightfold Path, practicing in this way, little by little and ultimately we will find true peace, true happiness. We might already be aware when we become interested in Buddhism or gain faith in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, we're aware of the lack of peace or lack of happiness or lack of complete happiness in our hearts. We might even be aware of some of the causes and conditions for that. And so we are looking for a way to remedy that lack of peace, lack of happiness. And this is why we train, this is why we practice. And the real place of training is uh, the heart the jitta, the spiritual heart of a human being. The Buddha said, jittang dangtang sukha wahang, a well-trained heart brings happiness. So a commitment to the path or taking refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha is it's an appreciation that we have to train, we have to practice in order to experience happiness. But the place of training is this heart, the jitta. Because wherever we go, our jitta goes with us. At one time, a young monk 
asked Ajahn Chah whether he should go here to a certain monastery to further his practice or should he go there to a different monastery to further his practice or should he stay with Ajahn Chah to further his practice Ajahn Chah just gave him a rebuke saying that it's nothing to do with the place the real place of practice is your own heart and it's a matter of how well you train your heart this will determine uh, whether you really become peaceful and happy or not it's your own training it's the method of training the way you train the techniques the method that you apply that is important even if you're in the best possible situation if you're not applying the method then the results won't come or if you are in a very poor or unconducive situation perhaps if you still apply the right method well the results will come and it's important for us to see this although there is a relationship and a connection between our external environment place, people and so on ultimately it's our own efforts in the practice our willingness to train our commitment and some continuity applying the method of training that will bring bring us the peace, the happiness that we seek. Ajahn Chah would refer over and over again to the continuity of practice. Keep doing it. Meaning keep coming back to the Eightfold Path and developing it. Actually bringing it into existence, bringing it up, developing it as an experience through the training so although we part of our training is to do with our actions skillful actions skillful speech skillful interaction with the world and around us other people and the environment the actual place where the factors of the path arise and where we train is the jitter internal and samaditi the right view is it's an internal maturing of wisdom clearly clear vision of truth clearly seeing knowing understanding truth and this wisdom this is what trains the heart to penetrate the Four Noble Truths, break through delusions, see craving and attachment for what it is, abandon it, and understand more deeply the nature of this world, this body, this mind. That wisdom arises in the heart and it's developed, trained in the heart. as is 
as are all the other factors of the path. Sama Sankapa, right thought. Thought of renunciation. Renunciation of sensuality, sensual attachment, seeing the limitation of it, the impermanence of it, the distracting nature of it, and the ultimate inability of the senses and their objects to bring us lasting, secure peace and happiness. It's a renunciation of sensuality. part of right thought and that's that's arising in the mind with intentions and with training the mind in right intention right thought thoughts directed to goodwill kindness and abandoning ill will is right thought. Again, that's developing skillful mental states, abandoning unskillful mental states. This is a mental training. Although it's expressed outwardly, we, we practice renunciation, we practice goodwill, metta. But it's generated internally, the right attitudes, the right thoughts, and appreciating the value of these in the training of the mind, of the heart. Thoughts of compassion, for others as opposed to cruelty, hatred, another factor of right thought, and turning away from the desire to harm others or see others suffer and replacing that with compassion, understanding suffering is never good whether it's one's own suffering or the suffering of others. In its nature it's, it is suffering, it's something to be transcended and ended. Right, action. The action, the intention to avoid, refrain from killing, stealing, sexual misconduct. Even though we say right action, it's training the jitter to give up the intention to kill, intention to steal, intention to perform acts of sexual misconduct or illicit sex, harmful sex. In the case of a renunciant, a bhikkhu in its celibacy, or a novice or an anagarika, complete abstention from sexual behavior. Right action is a, it's an intention, it's a mental training that is expressed in speech and action.
right speech. It's training the verbal capacity of the mind, the way we form our thoughts, verbalize our thoughts, and then express them in speech. Training to abandon or refrain from <coughs> unskillful speech that again harms others. So, lying or manipulating the truth, aggressive speech, backstabbing speech that disparages others or sets others apart, disrespectful speech, abusive speech, or just idle, frivolous chatter that takes away our mindfulness or the mindfulness of others. We're training the mind to refrain from that. So that's, we train first just to refrain from the verbal expression of wrong speech. But we're also training the mind, training in being aware of the verbalizations of the mind, our thought formations, filtering them out so that they don't lead on to a wrong or negative speech. right livelihood and livelihood the way we earn our income or our the basic necessities of life in a way without harming others so for a lay person one has to consider how one earns one's money try to earn in an honest way a way that doesn't exploit others or harm physically harm others take advantage of others in different ways. Developing a sense of integrity in the way we earn our living. And again, expressing a renunciation, compassion, all the other skillful mental states so that we don't give in to, say, greed or jealousy or anger as we go about mm -hmm. earning money and earning our livelihood. If it's a bhikkhu, then it's following the Vinaya, not exploiting the generosity of the laity, not imposing one's demands or desires on the laity, giving trouble to them or making a burden, being a burden on them, or not manipulating the laity, always trying to get things or so on, just to be willing to be content with little, content with what's offered, to be one who is easy to look, to look after, one who is not a burden. That's a mental training as much as a physical training. As it means we have to be aware of our, the mental states lying behind our actions, the way we go about obtaining arms if we're a bhikkhu, or the way we go about earning our living as a lay person. You're always looking back at the intention, the integrity of your intention, the honesty of your intention and the developing the qualities of the Brahma Viharas, appreciating others and being aware of the suffering of others so as not to impose one's own needs on others to the point where one harms them, takes advantage of them. That's a mental training as much as anything, an awareness of one's own intentions, 
lying behind one's actions. And that's an ongoing training, all of these path factors we're constantly reviewing in our daily life. What are the mental states and the intentions behind what I say, what I do? We can see even as we meditate, the training in right speech, right action, right livelihood is going on. Training the thought formations you have. And this is right effort, isn't it? The effort to abandon unskillful mental states that have arisen. And the effort to prevent them from arising in the future. And the effort to bring up wholesome, skillful mental states and the effort to develop them. Whether we're considering our actions, our speech, our livelihood, or just the process of meditation, we're developing right effort the whole time. Filtering out negative, harmful mental states, recognizing them, filtering them, letting them go, abandoning them. Sometimes with very firm intention not to indulge in a negative state, state of mind. Other times just gritting our teeth when we can't do much about it, they're coming up, but we at least determine not to follow them in our actions or our speech. But it's developing that awareness, mindfulness and wisdom that understands what is wholesome, what is unwholesome in the mind and how that is conditioning our speech, our actions. That's a training, an ongoing training, continuous training for anyone on the Buddhist path. If we neglect that training, then we're neglecting our own consciousness, our own mind, our own heart. Well, it won't flourish. It won't come to the peace, the happiness that we want if we neglect the training in right effort. This is a, a mental training, bringing up right effort as a, a way of looking at our experience, the experience of this mind, how it relates to the world, and becoming more and more familiar with what is wholesome, what is unwholesome, and developing skillful means for ourselves to prevent the wholesome, uh, the unwholesome dhammas from arising and to develop the wholesome ones. And this is the experience we gain in the practice of how well we do that. Becoming clearer with our mind, what we're thinking, what our intentions are, and how they're reflected in our speech, our actions. Becoming clearer and clearer, more aware of what is skillful and what is unskillful. What are the results of our mental states that are arising and the speech, the actions coming from them. What results do they bring forth? What benefit or harm do they bring forth? Becoming clearer and clearer in that to the point where you maybe reaches a level where you're just intuitively aware straight away of an unwholesome mental state in the mind. 
quickly moves away from it, drops it, refuses to follow it without having to think or analyze very much at all, just knows this is unwholesome, this is a cause of suffering. Or intuitively bringing up the wholesome, They're responding to one's own situation or the involvement with the world around with wholesome, skillful states of mind or speech or actions. It can become to that level where it's just intuitive, just one just knows the, the, the proper way to respond is with renunciation or kindness or compassion or with wisdom or with mindfulness depending on what's going on. But at first we have to really think about it. We have to think about how to practice, what to do. We have to put effort in sometimes very painstaking effort or painful effort working with our own mind to abandon negative habits, negative tendencies we've recognized. Working hard to not let them come back up and take over the mind. And the effort to bring up the wholesome when the mind is sluggish or doesn't, or it's stubborn and doesn't want to. And this is practice. This is why we call it practice or training. Often very repetitive. Many of our kilesa, unwholesome negative tendencies, they come up repeatedly in different situations. Even when we're quietly on our own, all kinds of things come up in the mind. So right effort is at the very center of training this mind. And the tool of right effort is right mindfulness. Becoming more mindful and clearly comprehending what we're doing, what we're saying, and then internally what's going on in the mind. So training in mindfulness, using the techniques of sila, the mindful of our actions, our speech, learning to train in wholesome actions, wholesome speech, and then internally training the mind using meditation techniques, meditation objects, mindfulness of the breath, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of the mind itself, mindfulness of directed to the objects of mind, our memories and thoughts, and always with mindfulness, establishing mindfulness as a basis for wisdom to function, to look more deeply at our experience of this body and mind and see the impermanent nature of it, and the dukkha and the lack of self in it. This is the training in right effort, the effort to bring up mindfulness, establish a clear, unbiased, unshaken knowing of this body and this mind and the contents of the mind as it is, as just 
conditioned phenomena that arise and pass away, causing according to causes and conditions. This body is arising, passing away in our experience, destined to grow old and die. Our feelings arising, passing away, pleasure and pain changing around all the time. The mind itself Sometimes free of kilesa, free of greed, anger and delusion, other times coloured, affected by greed, anger, delusion. The emotional states we experience with this mind. That seem coming to seem the mind more as a like an empty vessel or a neutral vessel that knows, knows objects, but in itself it isn't a person, a being, me or mine. It's just that quality of knowing. But when defilements arise through a karmic conditioning, lack of mindfulness, lack of wisdom, and then that quality of knowing is affected. So it's a, you might say, incorrect knowing we know wrongly and the mind is affected accordingly. So we have greed or anger or delusion or any of their offshoots. But just bringing mindfulness to bear on the mind itself, just seeing, even sometimes just mem with, with memory, memory, remembering how the mind was previously. Just seeing the mind as a that quality that knows, knows things. And all the things that the mind knows, the aramana, the objects, to be more aware of them, how they arise and pass away. Even the wholesome mind states that we develop on the past to also be aware of their, their conditioned nature. They arise and pass away. The feelings of pleasure that come with wholesome acts, spiritual pleasure, the pleasure of say sitting meditation and becoming calm, feeling happy and content, the pleasure of kindness, compassion when practiced, directed towards others, people or oneself. The different kinds of pleasure or bliss, coarse or subtle that come through the practice. Even that, to be aware that this is still not a being, not a self. This is the contents of the mind arising through various causes and conditions. The conditions being following the path, developing the path, brings us happiness. But not to grasp at that as a self, but to direct mindfulness and wisdom to contemplate it. When all the path factors are developing together, supportive of each other, then we'll experience deeper periods of, and more continuous periods of calm, samadhi, through the presence of, continued presence of mindfulness, training the mind in meditation objects, the breath, the body, 
mindfulness of death, mindfulness of the Buddha, recollection of the Buddha, whatever the object. Or using wisdom to investigate Dhamma, the bringing it to the state of calm when the mind has continuous mindfulness. Whatever the vehicle that we use when the path factors are supporting each other and the moments of mindfulness become more sustained then we'll experience periods of calm concentration samadhi and then we'll see the importance of all those supportive conditions that give rise to states of calm and peace the links the relationship between say speech action, state of mind, intentions, presence of mindfulness, right effort, bringing up mindfulness, developing concentration on meditation objects and so on. The more we experience states of calm concentration, we can see the relationship, the links between all the other factors of the path, see the role of wisdom, guiding the mind, training it, to view things correctly, see things correctly. And then the role of the calm, concentrated state of mind to facilitate the deepening of wisdom. Seeing how investigation of Dhamma directing mindfulness that is being well trained, well developed to contemplate in each dukkha anatta of this body and this mind. That's what deepens our insight, deepens and makes our wisdom faculty mature, becomes firmer, clearer, less prone to doubt, less prone to delusion, misunderstanding but understanding the nature of phenomena more clearly, without doubt, without distraction. And this always brings the mind to the deepest peace, the deepest happiness, you know, happiness of insight, clarity, where again, wisdom maybe can be functioning quite intuitively. The mind has been trained in all these path factors they're all supporting each other, working together. And so the mind quite intuitively, quite naturally, is seeing the nature of phenomena as an each dukkha anatta. Whether it's a thought, a feeling, a memory, or mindfulness directed to the body, an aspect of the body, seeing the body as not self, seeing it as four elements, seeing the anicca of this body or the asupa of this body whether it's the body or the mind the mind directed with all the path factors to the body, feelings, mind, mind objects with a deepening wisdom and this is what frees the mind from craving and attachment and that freedom, that liberation brings the deepest peace, deepest happiness It can be very natural just seeing something and letting it go. 
something that previously you weren't attached to or being bothered by, disturbed by, a mood, a thought process, a verbal habit, a habit of speech or action, whatever, or maybe sees it as an ichidukkha anatta in some aspect and then just re- relinquishes it, lets it go, sees through it and the mind becomes more peaceful than before, more happy than before. This is training or practice in the Buddhist path and all the aspects of the path we're developing together and ultimately it's a training in the mind itself, the jitta, the mind or the heart. All these eight factors arise together, support each other and have their effect and their conditioning effect in a good way, a wholesome way, bringing the mind deeper insight and deeper happiness, a sense of well-being arises from that. It's when the refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha becomes internalized. One who sees the Dhamma, meaning sees truth as it is, sees the Anicca Anatta of this body and mind and the world around us. One who sees the Dhamma sees the Buddha. One who sees the Buddha sees the Dhamma. And these refuges become internalized when one develops the path and one knows one's developing the path and one can see the fruits of the path, what it's like, what happens. One doesn't have any doubt that it's a good thing, the correct thing. One has a sense of the peace that it brings, the happiness, the freedom from suffering. And even if the mind isn't completely purified yet. There's no real doubt as to the efficacy of the path, the completeness of the path and the ability of these path factors to free the mind from suffering. And that could be just a momentary letting go of some emotional state that was causing unhappiness be letting go of material things that we've been clinging to, letting go of other people, perceptions about other people, love and hate but directed to other people, emotions directed to ourselves, and so on. Anytime these path factors come together, the mind settles down, mindfulness is clearer, sense of peace is firmer and insight starts to operate and then gives this sense of release from suffering. And we can see, well, this is what the Buddha was pointing to, the Dhamma. One who sees the Dhamma sees the Buddha. One who sees the Buddha sees the Dhamma. This is an internal thing that comes through training the heart in these path factors. If we keep training like this, it's also expressed externally in our conduct, our speech. But the real fruit is known and experienced in the heart itself. Little by little, our path of practice is bringing up these factors. Studying the Dhamma, hearing the Dhamma, learning it and then putting it into practice in one's life situation, whether in the monastery or outside. 
wherever one is, you know, the power factors can arise at any time because our body and mind is here, our place of training is right here all day long, whether in the monastery, outside, we're on our own with other people or so on, whatever the situation. It's for us to direct the mind to develop these power factors. And this is what will bring insights that will free ourselves from suffering. So I'll leave you with these uh, words of encouragement for your reflection tonight.